Hello, listeners. If you are enjoying this podcast without commercial interruption and are financially able, please consider supporting our effort. To contribute, go to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and click on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. But wait, there's more. You can now contribute through Venmo and Zelle by using my email address spacerockethistory at gmail.com. Thanks. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Didn't I feel out? Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? When that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode number 412 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, the launch of Skylab 3. June 22, 1973. The first crew of Skylab astronauts returned safely to Earth. The three men had spent 28 days in Earth orbit, living and working aboard America's first space station. Following a mission debriefing period, the Skylab astronauts returned to Kennedy Space Center to thank the assembly and launch teams for their work. The astronauts, in turn, were praised for the mission's success especially for their repair efforts in space. Astronauts Conrad, Kerwin, and Weitz had installed a sunshade and deployed a jammed solar panel on the orbital workshop. Their efforts made the space station operable and livable for themselves and for two following crews of astronauts who would live aboard the Sky Laboratory for longer periods of time. Following the departure of the Skylab crew, the workstation entered its second period of unmanned activity. I'm sure you recall the first period of inactivity was from the launch of Skylab until the arrival of the first crew, which was only supposed to be 24 hours, but became 11 days due to the problems with the solar array and micrometeoroid shield. The pressure was so intense to get that first crew up to Skylab that many of those working to solve Skylab's problems felt that the 11-day delay was much longer than it actually was. In fact, they jokingly referred to it as the 11 years in May. In any case, shortly after the departure of the first crew, The workshop was depressurized. Over a six-hour period, the pressure was lowered to 2 PSI. And through normal air leakage in the station, the pressure was allowed to drop as low as 1.9 PSIA. 
Internal temperature was allowed to fall as low as 35 degrees Fahrenheit to prevent condensation. It was not allowed to go any lower than that. The only housekeeping task required was to recycle the refrigeration primary and secondary loops. This was due to the abnormal temperature that occurred during the final closeout of the first mission. But after two days, the system was restored to normal operations. Now, even though there were no astronauts aboard, ground control could still monitor solar observations made by the Apollo telescope mount, at least until July 19th when the primary up-down rate gyro failed. Three days after it failed, the ground performed a test on the secondary gyro, which was successful. But out of an abundance of caution, and to prevent the risk of serious malfunction, only limited solar observations were conducted until the station was reoccupied by the second crew. The second crew would bring a replacement package of six supplementary rate gyros called the six-pack. Now let's move on to the second mission. By way of introduction, I have clips of each crew member speaking about the second manned mission. First, the commander, Al Bean. 41-year-old Navy Captain Alan L. Bean will be in command of the Skylab 3 mission. Raised in Fort Worth, Texas, Bean helped explore the moon during Apollo 12. Our mission is essentially uh, has three objectives. The first is, uh, is study of man himself. So one of the things that we're doing on our mission for 56 days, and that's the reason it is that length, is to take a look at how man himself survives up there in that lack of gravity condition. Uh, secondly, we want to look at the Earth. What can man do in Earth orbit to uh, make it a better place for man on the street? Not only today, but next year, uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. We've only uh, scratched the surface uh, with the uh, resources problem that we're going to experience on this planet in the coming years. This is a definitely a, a tool that's going to be used in the future. This is a, also something that's just in its infancy. We don't know exactly how much can be done from space, but we know it will be. So we're going to study the Earth with some instruments. Last, we're going to take a look at the sun. And we all know that the sun is probably the most important body as far as we're concerned, because everything that we have here on Earth in the form of energy, heat, fuel, anything else came from the sun or it comes from the sun at this moment. We want to understand better how it works. There's many, many uh, uh, occurrences, uh, heat transfer uh, phenomena that if we could understand how it occur on the sun would probably help us in our efforts now to harness the atom and make it better useful for peaceful purposes. While most of the results of the first Skylab mission are still being processed, astronaut Bean did make these observations. I think one of the most important things that we've learned as far as crew operations are concerned, and I think this affects then every single thing we do in a space station, is the ease with which uh, man has been able to move about the space station. He's been able to move rapidly. He's been able to affix himself to one position so that he could work experiments, so that he could perform uh, uh, housekeeping functions. 
He's been able to uh, move large boxes, some weighing several hundred pounds precisely, without breaking his fingers, without bumping them into the wall, and put them just where he wanted them to be. Essentially, we found out that man, in a large volume, can operate very efficiently. Now, going on the theory that space stations and space vehicles will become larger as time progresses, just as the modern aircraft carrier came from the canoe, we're going to find that we're going to continue to occupy larger and larger volumes. And this is an indicator that man has got, is going to be able to, to live with, with that idea in mind. Now here is pilot Jack Lausma. Well, I'm a so-called pilot on this mission. And, uh, Astronaut Jack Lausma from Grand Rapids, Michigan, is the second of the Skylab 3 crewmen. Lausma is 37 years old. Command module, the environmental control, electrical power systems, communications, and so forth. Once we get to the Skylab, our jobs are pretty much the uh, same. We're not too specialized. I'll participate in the uh, solar physics uh, experiments and medical experiments and Earth resources. Uh, however, I do have some specialty areas in the event that we have problems with the systems on board the Skylab or systems problems with the Earth resources equipment. But by and large, we've trained to the point now where uh, most anybody can handle any job once we get up there in orbit. Jack Lausma is especially interested in the Earth resources experiments. By looking down from space with remote sensors, we can tell much about what's on the ground. Uh, each object on the ground has its own electromagnetic radiation, which is collected by a sensor on board. And we can tell, for example, uh, the difference between barley and oats and corn and different kinds of crops. We can tell those that are diseased from those which are well. We can tell different kinds of trees from one another. We can see fresh water as opposed to polluted water, or we can see air pollution as opposed to clean air. There are many things that we can see from space with a sensor. And this will permit us to inventory our crops and resources better. It'll permit us to therefore manage them in a better way. And in addition, we can look at soils. We can uh, look at uh, snowpacks. We can, we can look at the oceans to see where the uh, best shipping routes are or where the most fish are likely to be. There's a host of applications of Earth resources, many of which are uh, just now coming out of the woodwork and which we're finding as a result of our studies in this area. A piece of experimental equipment the crew will evaluate is shown here during ground simulations. Lausma explains its use. We have on board the Skylab uh, two maneuvering units, uh, one of which is the type that Buck Rogers might have strapped on his back years ago in the comic strips. Essentially, it's a way to maneuver around in space uh, in a free-floating area without hanging on to anything and to go from one thing to another. The purpose on Skylab is to evaluate this kind of a flying device to see if we can use it in later applications in space. I'm confident that if we had, had, if we had developed this kind of maneuvering unit for the Skylab, why we would have been able to accomplish our EVAs more readily. I'm sure that uh, we couldn't have been more successful than we were, but it would have enabled us to do a better job. We can strap this flying backpack onto us and control it by little jet thrusters with hand controllers and go from one point in the Skylab to another point. And then if you extend your imagination to flying from one spacecraft to another or from a spacecraft to a satellite to repair it or some of those other kinds of applications, you can see the advantage of having a backpack or a maneuvering unit 
which is operated by one man. We expect that uh, on Skylab we'll get the information that we need to develop a backpack that can actually be used operationally in later space applications. And finally we have science pilot Dr. Owen Garriott. 42-year-old Dr. Owen Garriott from Enid, Oklahoma is the third member of the Skylab 3 crew. He is designated science pilot and holds a doctorate degree in electrical engineering from Stanford University where he once taught. We asked him to discuss some of the things learned from the first Skylab mission that will be helpful on this second manned flight. There are a number of things that we already know on the ground today uh, that uh, will be very important to us in our planning for mission two. Uh, the Harvard College Observatory instrument sends all of its data to the ground uh, via telemetry. It's all an electronic uh, scanning scheme. And we've already got pictures of the sun uh, built up at several dozen wavelengths, all the way uh, from uh, short wavelengths at 300 angstroms up to 1300 angstroms in wavelength. We see the sun at these differing wavelengths. We know what sort of features are visible, uh, what sort of features are suppressed. Uh, we know what sort of targets we can point at and so on. And so our planning is already underway as to how to take advantage of this information and has already been returned. Now in the area of physiology, for example, we have the information back at this time as to how the uh, men's reactions, uh, pedaling the bicycle and in response to the uh, lower body negative pressure device, this uh, system which pulls a partial vacuum on the lower half of your body. We already know how uh, the uh, body is responding to these things, and so uh, we are, in fact, modifying the protocol, the procedures that we go through to uh, pedal the bicycle a little bit differently than we had planned before, and uh, pedal it in a way which makes us a little more efficient in transferring the energy which we produce into the uh, torque delivered to the bicycle pedals. So there are a number of ways uh, that we are already working on uh, alterations to our program based upon what the Mission 1 crew has found. Student experiments, experiments submitted by youngsters from high schools throughout the U.S., will continue to be carried out and observed by the Skylab 3 crew. Dr. Garriott described one of them. The in vitro immunology experiment is a very interesting student experiment, and the uh, investigator, the student investigator here is from New York, Mr. Todd Meister, who is a very enthusiastic young fellow who has spent a great deal of time in the preparation of this experiment and is a very competent uh, young man indeed. Uh, his experiment uh, will involve the interaction of antigens and antibodies in a uh, matrix of material. Uh, we will allow it to incubate uh, for something like 24 hours and then photograph the experiment. And from the uh, degree in which, uh, to which the uh, antibodies have reacted with the antigen, uh, he will be able to determine whether or not there has been any zero-G effect. And uh, this has important implications, I think, uh, relative to uh, studying diseases or the body's mechanism for fighting disease. And uh, several other potential applications, I'm sure, could also be uh, 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 at least imagined. And so I think it's one of the most interesting experiments and uh, one for which the student investigator has certainly been very well prepared. The crew of the second manned Skylab mission is finishing out its last days of intensive training before launch. Summarizing and then looking toward the future, Owen Garriott had this to say. Only in the last few weeks, in uh, the time of Skylab, have we really begun to exploit and see the potential of man operating in the near-Earth environment. We can see that it is possible for man to fix things in space. 
we can see that it is possible to live for long uh, uh, intervals in space at more or less normal uh, living circumstances in a normal living environment. And once we see, as we are doing now in Skylab, that these things are possible, then we can begin to appreciate better all of the things that it is possible to do from this vantage point far above the Earth's surface. And I believe the potential and the implications and the extrapolation of what we now have is really so vast that it takes a man with a very uh, good ability to foresee the future to even uh, guess at the many ways in which it will affect our lives. I think it could even have an impact on our methods of uh, energy uh, usage in our country because we have a vast amount of energy available to us from the sun uh, over, uh, all we have to do is to figure out the most economical and efficient means of collecting it. And I do think that there is potential uh, for the collection of solar energy from space uh, to be used for the sort of tasks we find it necessary to be used in here at home. So uh, uh, the man will have to participate in all these things from the way of putting them into proper operation, maintaining and operating these devices. So I think we're on the very threshold of really an enormous new uh, undertaking that uh, very few people uh, uh, can properly envisage. In addition to the gyro six-pack, the Skylab command module also carried an improved version of the parasol thermal shield developed at Johnson Space Center. The crew had trained for the deployment of this and the twin pole shield developed by Marshall that had already been taken up to the station by the first crew. Also on board were experiment film, extra food for a three-day extension, spares for failed experiment components, and other items of hardware such as two laboratory tape recorders. Additionally, two mummy-chog minnows 50 minnow fish eggs, 6 pocket mice, 720 fruit fly pupa, and 2 common crawl spiders named Arabella and Anita. This brought the total crew complement to 783 life forms. About 40 hours before the launch of Skylab 3, the workshop was depressurized to 0.6 psi and then immediately repressurized up to 5 psi and terminated just 24 hours before liftoff. The launch of the second crew of Skylab was kind of rare in the history of human spaceflight. It is very common for space launches to be delayed, scrubbed, or otherwise postponed. The launch of Skylab 3's Saturn 1B was actually moved forward. Though it had originally been scheduled for August 17, 1973, concerns for the condition of the parasol installed by the first crew and the station's attitude-measuring gyroscopes led to a decision to launch the second crew sooner in order to shorten the unoccupied period. On July 2nd, the second crew was informed that they would be leaving earlier than planned and as a result had less than four weeks to prepare for being away from the planet for a couple of months. The new launch day was scheduled for July 28, 1973. 
The recovery day was scheduled for September 22nd, which was 56 days later. However, on July 20th, NASA added three days to the duration of the mission, changing it from 56 to 59 days in order to provide more favorable conditions for recovery. Skylab 3 would return home on September 25th. The launch vehicle for Skylab 3 completed stacking in the Vehicle Assembly Building by May 28th, and the Command and Service Module were installed by June 8th. Three days later, the completed rocket was moved to Launch Complex 39B. Now, this was beneficial to the first crew who were at the station at that time. If there had been a problem for them, then the Skylab 3 vehicle could have been used for a rescue mission. Although it would have taken seven weeks to prepare the vehicle, mainly due to the fact it would have to be changed to be able to hold five astronauts. If a rescue had been required, then Vance Brand and Don Lind would have been the astronauts to fly the, to the orbiting workshop to bring back the first crew. Brand and Lind had trained for a rescue mission on all three manned missions. Fortunately, a rescue was not needed for the first crew and preparations for the second crew progressed well. I do want to pause here for just a moment in case there is any confusion with the nomenclature used. Skylab 1, you will recall, was the launch of the uncrewed station itself. Next came Skylab 2, carrying the first crew. Then came our current mission, Skylab 3, that carried the second crew. Throughout the Skylab program, this naming created some confusion, and it still does with collectors today. In my opinion, NASA could have called the launch of the station just Skylab or perhaps Skylab Zero or something else. Of course, that did not happen, and there has been confusion and a bit of frustration ever since. If you were confused, I hope that cleared things up. Continuing, on July 28, 1973, an estimated 35,000 people gathered at Kennedy Space Center to witness the launch of the second crew. Onlookers filled the press site, family viewing areas, public sites, and the many causeways around the Space Center area. For rookie astronauts, science pilot Owen Garriott and pilot Jack Lausma, the moment they had waited so long for had finally arrived. After seven to eight years of training and simulations, the two, along with veteran Commander Alan Bean, were about to be on their way to space. Jack Lausma was struck by the way the Saturn 1B looked as the crew arrived at the pad. Lausma said, quote, It was dark when we got there. I remember seeing it steaming away and the oxygen venting and the searchlights. End quote. Lausma remembered thinking to himself, It's just like 2001. 
It was at that point Jack realized that he was finally doing this for real. After all those years, the simulations were over. When loading the spacecraft, the science pilot lies in the middle couch for launch. As such, Owen Garriott was the last to board, so that he wasn't in the way of the other two crew members as they got into their couches. The ground crew's first assisted the commander into the left couch and got him strapped in and connected up. Then came the pilot who was strapped into the right couch. At this point, the science pilot was left standing on the walkway, 380 feet above ground, for about five minutes, all by himself, with his private thoughts. Looking out over the launch complex, Garriott recalled, the long training period leading up to this moment, and that a fiery rocket would soon take his speed from zero to over five miles a second in less than ten minutes. It was probably the most dangerous ten minutes of the entire mission, and probably of his entire life. But he had planned for it for years, and he knew the escape options, if that should be necessary. He wasn't scared, and neither was Lausma, as he fell asleep on the launch pad. The astronauts had completed their checks some 45 minutes before the planned liftoff and had nothing to do but sit and wait. Remember Al Bean had flown in space before, when he accompanied Pete Conrad and Dick Gordon to the moon on Apollo 12. On that mission, Bean had completed just one and a half Earth orbits in a little over two hours. But now, he was prepared to spend two months orbiting the planet. Dick Truly served as the launch and rendezvous Capcom for the second time, having served in that role for Skylab 2, and he was preparing to repeat the role for Skylab 4. Now... Let's take the 9 minute 51 second journey to orbit with the Skylab 3 astronauts. 30 seconds and continuing to count. Launch vehicle test conductor Norm Carlson has reported to the test supervisor that the launch vehicle is cleared for launch. Essentially what he is saying is the launch vehicle is ready to go on the automatic sequencer. The automatic sequencer comes into play at T-minus 3 minutes, 7 seconds in the countdown. Launch sequence has started now. We passed the 3 minutes 7 seconds mark, and we're on the automatic sequencer. Liquid oxygen uh, and liquid hydrogen uh, have been being replenished up to this point. That replenish now will be terminated. The vents will be closed, and the fuel tanks will be pressurized. Trying to continue replenish them uh, on down through the final portion of the countdown. Various elements of the launch team now reporting in, all giving coming in on a go condition. T-minus 2 minutes, 20 seconds, and continuing to count. Here in the firing room now, we are having what's called operational silence. The men have reported in that they are go. There will be no further reporting in now except when they see a problem. If they saw a problem, they could report in, could request an override to this automatic sequencer, and stop the count. Test supervisor reporting the countdown clock times here to the firing room team. 
Paul Donnelly, the launch operations manager, just called up to the crew, said the launch, the launch team wishes you good luck and Godspeed. T-minus one minute, 36 seconds, and counting. A large status board here in the firing room shows the status of the various systems and also shows the actions being taken by the automatic sequencer. The instrument unit ready light uh, now is on. The emergency detection system ready light is on. Launch sequence start light, of course, came on at the T-minus three minute, seven second mark in the countdown. Pressurization of the tanks now showing up uh, on our status board. S4B LOX tank pressurized. S1B fuel tank pressurized as we approach the one minute mark in the countdown. Mark, T-minus one minute, T-minus one minute and counting in the spacecraft. Garriott and Lausma have essentially completed their checkout and their uh, astronauts being Garriott and Lausma, they are ready to become the second man crew to uh, man the orbiting sky laboratory. T-minus 42 seconds. Spacecraft commander now has made the final guidance alignment. That's the final action to be taken by the crew on board the spacecraft until after the launch. T-minus 30 seconds. T-minus 30 seconds and counting. The eight first stage engines will ignite at 3.1 seconds in our countdown. They'll be held down while thrust is built up uh, until the zero mark, at which time we'll get liftoff. We'll be looking for liftoff right at the T-zero mark. We passed the 15 second mark in the count. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. We have ignition sequence start. All ignition, all ignitions are running. All engines running. We have a liftoff, and the second man crew has cleared the tower. Roll and pitch program, Houston. Roger, roll and pitch, Skylab, and uh, thrust looks good on all engines. Albion reports. Albion reports the automatic maneuver that puts Skylab on the proper course. Altitude seven tenths of a mile. Velocity one thousand four hundred thirty-two feet per second. Thirty-six seconds. Got a pretty noise to it right now. Roger that. You're looking real good. Fifty seconds. Two and a half miles high. Seventeen hundred feet per second. Roger, stand by for mode one, Bravo. Roll mark. Roll one, Bravo. Roger. Propellant up RCS command. Roger. Yeah, I get a great feeling of motion up here, Dick. I really feel like it's moving out. Roger, BLT and Skylab Houston, your feet wet. Charlie capability. Mark, one Charlie. I understand. Skylab Houston, go for staking. Glad you're going here. Twenty-two miles high, nineteen miles downrange, velocity fifty-eight hundred feet per second. Standing by for staging. 
Inboards. Outboards. Staging. Roger. Good staging. Ignition on the S4B stage. Roger, we're watching the thrust come up now. Skylab Houston thrust is looks good on S4B. That's good news. Two minutes, 45 seconds. Altitude, 41 and a half miles. Velocity, 7,695 feet per second. Downrange, 60 miles now. Roger, tower jettison, your mode two. Guidance initiate. Roger. Everything's looking, looking good. real good. You're going three minutes. Nice and bright up here in the sun. Roger. Three minutes, 15 seconds. Altitude, 55 miles. Downrange, 90 miles. Velocity, 8,189 feet per second. Thrust still good on the second stage. Okay, Dick, the camera pressure's locked up real good here. You should have seen that tower go. Roger, understand. And we're going four minutes. Roger, Skylab. Uh, we concur. You go at four. Everything's still looking good. Skylab now 142 miles downrange. Altitude 70 miles. Velocity 9,135 feet per second. And we'd like to try that liftoff again. That was great there, Dick. My turn next. That's a report from Jack Lousman. Four minutes, 40 seconds. Downrange now, 197 nautical miles. Altitude, 80 miles. Velocity, 10,027 feet per second. Skylab has achieved 34% of the velocity needed for orbit. There you go at five, looking real great. Five minutes, 35 seconds, downrange 283 nautical miles now, 88 miles high, 11,687 feet per second. Go at six. Roger, CDR, go at six. Skylab has 47% of the velocity needed for orbit now, 12,796 feet per second, downrange 354 nautical miles, altitude 91 and a half. Roger, Omni, Charlie. Thank you, sir. Want to keep old Ed down there happy? He's happy. Okay, we just put on the Kimball Motors, Houston. Roger, CDR. Skylab Houston, we see four good Gimbal Motors, good trims. You're going seven minutes, looking real good. Roger. Seven minutes, ten seconds now. Downrange, 473 nautical miles. Velocity, 15,380 feet per second. Altitude, 92 nautical miles. Seven minutes, 40 seconds. Skylab now has 65% of the velocity needed for orbit. PU shift, Houston, and we're going at eight. Roger, PU shift. And we concur, you go at eight minutes. Propellant utilization shift. The mixture ratio from the propellant has changed now to provide... Uh, better uh, propellant uh, feed at altitude. Eight minutes, 16 seconds. Skylab now 648 nautical miles downrange. Altitude, 
89 nautical miles, velocity 19,172 feet per second. 75% of the velocity needed for orbit now achieved. We're going nine, Houston. Roger, CDR, go at nine or minutes. Flight Director Phil Schaffer taking a status for the Eurasian gate. Roger. He advises the range safety officer, Skylab is go at the gate. Passing that gate will commit Skylab to fly over portions of the land masses of Europe and Asia. CDR Houston, uh, we're predicting the guidance cutoff at 9 or plus 5-3. Roger, 9 plus 53. Standby for mode 3 alpha capability. Mark, mode 3 alpha. Roger, 3 alpha. Standby for mode 4 capability. Mark, mode 4. Roger, mode 4. Skylab could now get into orbit if it had to abort uh, using the service propulsion system. At 9 minutes 50 seconds. Right. 25709. 122.2 by 83.2. We look good. Sounds real great. You sure don't want to quit. Roger. That was an onboard readout of the uh, orbit 122.2 nautical miles by 82.2 nautical miles. We'll confirm the orbit uh, with tracking in a little bit. Skylab Skylab Houston, uh, we've confirmed your orbit and your go for orbit looks good. Okay, tell the guys at KSC, thanks. That was a nice, nice job. Roger, Al. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina on the shores of the mighty Yadkin River. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 412 of the Space Rocket History Podcast entitled Skylab, the launch of Skylab 3. Our next episode should be released on or about May 4th, 2023. I guess that's May the 4th Be With You Day. If you would like to be notified by email when new episodes are posted, you can subscribe to the blog by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and typing in your email in the text box. I want to remind everyone that we have added two new methods of contributing to the podcast, that is Zelle and Venmo. You can use these to send money to my email address spacerockethistory at gmail.com. If you're looking for old podcasts, the first 231 are available on the archive. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on most podcatchers. If you like, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Space Rocket Hist. And you can follow on Facebook by searching for Space Rocket History. You can also keep up with me on Patreon.com slash Space Rocket History where in addition to episodes, I post some extra things occasionally. 
I had a few afterthoughts for this episode. As always, I would like to apologize for my mispronunciations. I've had a few, and I think I will probably have some more. (laughs) Can you imagine the excitement of launch day for the two rookies, Garriott and Lausma? To work, train, and prepare for something for seven or eight years, and then finally it comes true. The only thing I can compare it to in my life was completing my electrical engineering degree. It took six years for me to do it because I had to work my way through. I had a wife and daughter to support, so I, I could only take a few courses a semester and I had to work full time. I would work during the day and go to school at night and at sometimes, after a long day's work, I can remember climbing the steps up to that engineering building, and I would think, is this ever going to end? But it did. So for me, more than anything, persistence was the secret to success. Anyway, when I finally did graduate, I had this sense of accomplishment and relief that what I had worked for for so many years was finally here. And that's what I think the rookies felt like on that launch day way back in 1973. And as a bonus to me personally, (laughs) Garriott was an electrical guy like me. You may not know this, but there is a bit of competition between engineering disciplines. I think it's mainly due to the fact that we have to work together on projects. Now, I experienced it mainly between the electrical and instrumentation engineers versus the mechanical engineers. (laughs) But there is also a lot of bickering between mechanical versus structural versus electrical versus civil or environmental, generally every discipline that is involved in a project. So, of course, I'm always on the electrical or instrumentation engineer side. Occasionally, there is some turmoil between the electrical and instrumentation engineers, but (laughs) we will put up a united front against the other disciplines. It's just how things work. Uh, Sorry, I took a deeper dive on that than I intended. I mentioned this in this episode, but I just wanted to reinforce that one thing that is sometimes misleading is the nomenclature NASA used to identify the Skylab missions. Now, I'm referring to, of course, the fact that the first crew is called Skylab 2 and the second crew is called Skylab 3 and the third crew is called Skylab 4. There is a long story of how that came to be. But I don't know if I want, if it's really interesting enough to go into. Maybe, if enough of you want to hear it, I'll tell the story. But I think they had a very simple way of fixing the problem that would have eliminated the confusion. In fact, I just thought of two ideas off the top of my head. 
they could have called the launch of Skylab, the station Skylab, Skylab Zero, or just plain old call it Skylab. Now, there are probably some problems I haven't considered with that, as there always are. But I don't think it could be any worse than what NASA decided to do eventually, which was really confusing. You could probably think of some options better than me. Anyway, it is an annoyance when you don't have your nomenclature figured out well in advance so you can consistently go through the project where everybody's calling it the same thing because everybody was not calling it the same thing as the project project uh, progressed. So it led to this confusions, and there were issues with the uniforms, and there was all kinds of silliness going on. But that's that just happens when it, it's not the, the the naming is not well planned out. Well, that launch went very smooth, or did it? I will give you a hint. <laughs> there was a problem. And that, exciting news, will be covered next time. Finally, in the house news, absolutely nothing has happened. No one has come out to make any repairs, nor has anyone contacted us to set up a time to come out to make any repairs. So we are just waiting patiently. In personal news, Mrs. SRH had a bit of a health scare, but everything turned out okay. And uh, we are very pleased and thankful for that. And uh, that is about the extent of uh, personal life I can share with you right now. Over the past fortnight, we received seven donations and pledges. I'd like to thank Thomas M. from Illinois, who donated at the Starship level and earned a rocket emoji. Craig W. from Australia, who donated at the commercial level and earned a shooting star emoji. Jim E. from Ohio, who donated at the Apollo level and earned an alien emoji. Tim R. from Georgia, who donated at the Apollo level and earned a satellite emoji. Henning K. from Denmark, who donated at the Mercury level and earned a moon emoji. Debbie T. from the flatlands of Cambridgeshire on the banks of the Puny River Great Ouse, donated at the Mercury level and earned a shooting star emoji, and I apologize, I'm sure I mispronounced that. And finally, Thorsten M. pledged on Patreon at the Vostok level and earned a satellite emoji. Our total Patreon donors for 2023 have now reached 241, with a goal of reaching 300 by the end of the year. Our total donors, which includes Patreon, PayPal, Venmo, Zelle, and checks for 2023, have reached 298. We are almost at 300 donors for the year. Let's see, hopefully by next week, next uh, episode, not next week, we will have reached uh, over 300 donors. Our overall goal is uh, 450 for this year. So if you are enjoying this podcast that's been running for over 10 years now without commercial interruptions and you can afford it, 
please consider going to the homepage at spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link, or you can donate by check or use the QR codes to donate on Venmo or Zelle using my email address, spacerockethistory at gmail.com. And by the way, if you began the emoji maneuver last year, now is an excellent time to complete it. Okay, here's Mrs. SRH with this episode's donor giveaway. Thanks, Mike. Hello, Space Rocket History friends. The winner for this episode will get the choice of the rare and beautiful SRH archive magnet, or the regular magnet, or two stickers, or a NASA meatball sticker. With the help of Google's random number generator, I selected Martin Robinson. Martin Robinson, if you will email us, spacerockethistory at gmail.com, tell us your address and your SRH prize preference, we'll get this out to you. Sincere thanks to all 298 of you who have contributed thus far in 2023. My sources for this episode were NASA, Skylab, our first space station by Leland Bailu, Skylab, America Space Station by David Shaler, NASA Skylab Owner's Workshop Manual by David Baker, Homesteading Space, the Skylab Story by David Hitt, Outpost on the Frontier by Jay Chaldick, The Internet Archive, Flickr, and Wikipedia. And that is all I have for this episode. We'll try to have episode 413 posted on or about May 4th. Stay healthy, everyone, and so long for now.